Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, if you will open to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3 is where we'll begin today. But we'll actually be taking a little bit of a walk through these last four chapters. Paul's letter to the churches at Galatia. Today we're on step seven of an eight-step process that we're, we've called the road to recovery. And we're using the word recovery as an acronym that's led us week by week through this series. And, and uh, our youth pastor, Neil Bland, will take us home next Sunday uh, with week eight. And then the following week, uh, Kent Miller will be bringing a message that kind of uh, bring us to a, a full conclusion and leading us on to the next place that we're going to be headed as uh, I'll be away uh, in Belize uh, that week. And so just encourage you as we continue through this, uh, one thing we've been praying for in this series is that this would truly be more than just a series because it's so often the case that we come through something like this and we get to the end and we go, okay, well now what's the next thing? And we just kind of go on from there. And And what we've been praying that the Lord would do is to continue this good work of helping us to continue walking on the road that we've been laying out. Because this is really a lifelong road. This is not one of those that you go through the eight steps, you get to the end, you go, whew, glad I'm done with that. Now I can move on to something better. It's really not that way at all. It's really a lifelong journey in which we're seeking to see progress, the Lord more and more conforming us to his image and less of, less of me and more of him. That's really the progress that we're, that we're looking for. But today we're going to talk about maintaining momentum. And the reality is that many times the Christian life looks kind of like three steps forward and two steps back. Or maybe for many of us, it looks like two steps forward and three steps back. I probably should have got an amen from some of us here in the room on that one. But there's this reality of, of this. We, we get the sense that maybe I'm moving forward, but it's not happening as quickly as I would like it to. And, and in the short term, if we look at the gains that Christ has had in our life just in the short term, we can grow very easily discouraged. Or maybe it's just me. I don't know. That, 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 that seems to be the case in my own life. If I look at my, my progress, uh, the Lord's progress in my life, just on the short term, if I measure it over the last few weeks or the last few months, I can grow very easily discouraged. And that's why when Paul described the Christian life, he described it as a race, but it wasn't a short sprint It wasn't even a medium-distance race. It was a marathon. It was a long-distance run that requires endurance. And and for marathon runners, there's this place called the wall that they often run into where your body decides, you know what, I'm going to stop running whether you want to or not. And then then there's this moment of pressing through. And that's kind of where we're going to talk about today is, is hitting that wall and the temptation to stop at that point or even... To go backwards, which is what happens for many of us. Let's review these steps of recovery if we could. You can read these along with me, just kind of remind ourselves of where we've been. Then we'll get to step seven days. Step one was this. Let's read this together. Realize I'm not God. I admit I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and my life is unmanageable. Step two, earnestly believe that God exists that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. Step three, consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. And between step step three and step four, we began to talk about there was an upward slope to this road of recovery. Things begin to get difficult. Once you consciously choose to commit all your life to Christ's care and control, then he begins to exert his lordship. And in these next steps, this is where the rubber meets the road and we begin to see some, some difficult things. Step four was us to read this together. To openly can examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. And that last phrase we go, ooh, that's, that's a hard one. 
Step five, to voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask Him to remove my character defects. Again, not an easy step. And step six is not either. We looked at this last week. To evaluate all my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who've hurt me, and make amends for harm I've done to others, except when to do so would harm them or others. Okay, so what if you've gone through these first six steps and maybe you're really seeing, as we have in in so many testimonies that could be given in this room over the last few months, seeing so much progress that the Lord is making in your life and and you're seeing that you're growing in love for other people, that you are are dealing with your broken relationships, that those hurts and those habits and those hang-ups, they don't have the grip on you that they once did. In fact, those may even seem dead to you at this point as Christ has come alive in you and you're seeing so much progress in your faith. But what about the day that comes when the progress is no longer as evident as it once was? And some of you are living in this place right now where once you were were growing in Christ and you could just see like daily his transformation in your life, making you into a new creation. As the scriptures say, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And that was your, your life verse and everything was moving forward so wonderfully. And then you hit the wall. And you felt like you couldn't run anymore. And the wall could have a lot of different uh, manifestations, as we'll talk about in just a minute. Step seven of recovery, we're going to leave it in mystery for a few minutes. We're going to come to it toward the end today. But what I want you to know is that today we are talking about a term that's often called relapse. And the reason that we're going to walk through the book of Galatians is because If you read Galatians from beginning to end, uh, these six chapters that Paul writes to this church, I would say to you today that the church at Galatia was in many ways a church in relapse. And the reason I say that is because they had a particular drug of choice, not one that we often think of, but their particular drug of choice in the church at Galatia was false religion. They had grown up in false religion, and then the apostle Paul had come along, and he had brought the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there had been this great revival there in that region, and these churches were springing up there in the region of Galatia, and wonderful things were happening. Revival was taking place. People were getting saved. The church was growing, and and wonderful things were happening. And as Paul moved on from that region, right behind the apostle Paul came these false teachers. And the false teachers sought to lead the people away from the gospel and back to false religion. It wasn't necessarily a complete turning away from the gospel. It was merely that these false teachers sought to add back to the gospel the very kinds of things that Paul had sought to deliver them from and that Jesus had paid for at the cross. And so with those kind of things in mind, a church in relapse here at Galatia. Let's stand, if we can, in honor of God's Word. We're going to look at these first five verses of Galatians chapter 3, and then we'll see some more as we walk through the rest of this book together. The Apostle Paul wrote these things to the church at Galatia under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and his opening words aren't necessarily very nice, but very true. O foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And you can be seated. And Father, as we're seated together, I simply pray today that you'd help us. Give us ears to hear, Lord. Help us to understand the things that we're reading in your word and not just to have 
a mental assent to these things, God, not just uh, to say a yes and an amen, but that we might seek to walk according to your word. And Lord, if we were honest, some of us in the room, we've, we know what it means to hit that wall in our spiritual growth. We know that there was a time in our lives when we loved you more than we do now. When we delighted in your word more than we do now. When we loved others more than we do now. There was a time when we experienced the freedom for which you set us free. Lord, would you teach us today how to continue in the race even when we don't feel like it? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So maintain momentum. How do we continue in the journey with Christ when it seems like we've hit that wall? First, let's give a definition to the, the word relapse. Very simple definition here, but I think it'll be helpful to us. To relapse is to fall back into a self-destructive pattern. Now, this is what we as Baptists, when I was growing up, we used to talk about folks that were backsliding. We had to say it like that too, backsliding. Okay, that's the way we said it. And, and you would see people that would, that would come to a place where they would do what we called rededicate their lives to the Lord, which I'm not going to get down on that this morning, but, but there's, what you would see often is this, this pattern with folks where uh, they, would, they would come to know the Lord and then they would walk with Him for a while and, and then they would backslide. Okay, you have to say it kind of with that emphasis. They would backslide, and then there would come a point where something would happen, and then they would rededicate their lives, and then they would walk with the Lord for a while. Then they would backslide, and then they would rededicate their lives to the Lord, and then they would walk with Him for a while. And you see this pattern, this cycle, constantly. And it looked like the dance of, of two steps forward, three steps back, three steps forward, two steps back. And you, and you wondered over the long haul, was there really any progress there? And some of you guys are going, that sounds like my life. That sounds like my walk with Christ. I want to give you some encouragement this morning, but also a challenge. The reality in the Christian life is that there should be, over the long haul, visible progress. Now, it may be three steps forward and two steps back, but there's still progress there, isn't there? And if there's not progress, I want to encourage you today with this. If, there, if you cannot look back, if you've been walking with, with Jesus for five years, you should be able to look back to the person you were five years ago and see what Galatians 5 calls the fruit of the Spirit. You, you should have more love in your life now than you did five years ago, more patience, more peace, more joy, more self-control. There should be a, a growing in Christ that produces these things in you. So if you've been walking with Christ for five years, you should look more like like Jesus today than you did five years ago. Now notice I didn't say five minutes ago, even five days ago, even five months ago, because in the short term, we often don't see. It's, it's like our farmers that are getting ready to, to plant crops here in the next couple of months. There will be an unknown growth for quite a while. It'll be hidden below the surface, and you won't know what's going on there until it starts to sprout up. And that's oftentimes how it is in our Christian life. But over the long haul, over the course of years, you ought to be able to see progress. And I want to tell you this morning, and this, this, is, this is not a condemnation or a judgment. This is a, this is a point of understanding that if you can't look back, if you've been walking with Christ for five years, for ten years, and, and you don't look any different today than you did five years ago or ten years ago, you need to ask the question, who am I really walking with? Because to walk with Jesus means to be transformed. Romans 12 says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You may be, able, may be able to test that which is the good and pleasing, acceptable will of God. Again, that verse in St. Corinthians that we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And the idea of that new coming is, is a continual thing. That we're continually being made new in Christ. But if, if you're the same old person that you were when you supposedly accepted Christ, and over the long term you've not seen any visible change in your life because of knowing Jesus, then maybe the Jesus that you came to know wasn't the Jesus of this Word. 
And one way you'll examine that, one way that you'll see the work of Christ in your life is over that long haul, looking at, back at your life and going, you know what? Five years ago, I was the most bitter person, but Christ has changed my heart. Ten years ago, I had no patience for people whatsoever, but Christ has begun to give me that patience. And maybe it's still small. Maybe it's just a little bit of a sprout on the ground of your life. But the word promises that he who begins a good work and you who plants that good seed is going to bring it to its completion, its fulfillment in Christ. So relapse, falling back into a self-destructive pattern. How does this happen? I want you to know that it happens according to a predictable pattern. Now, it doesn't look exactly the same in the details, but from stepping back and looking at relapse in people's lives, there's a predictable pattern that takes place, and it's kind of what Paul describes in Galatians chapter 4. If you want to look in chapter 4 there, verses 8 and 9, he says, Formerly, to these Galatians, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Again, their drug of choice was false religion, and they were enslaved to it until Paul came and brought them the gospel that brought them freedom. In verse 1 of chapter 5, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. He says in verse 9 there, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, which that's really the most important part of the gospel, Here's his question. How then can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Paul's using the picture of the slave market, and he says, you guys were sold into slavery to your sin, to your false religion. You are captured by it, enslaved by it, in chains to it. And then Christ came and set you free. How is it then that you could run back to the slave market? It doesn't make any sense. What slave, having been set free, would run back to the very one who enslaved them? And yet that, he says, is what it looks like you're doing, Galatians. You're falling back. You're backsliding. And he says, how can you do that? Well, this relapse occurs along a particular pattern. It's there on your outline. The first place it happens is there's complacency. It begins there every time. We're walking along, running along with Christ, making forward motion, and then in that marathon of faith, we hit that wall and we begin to get complacent. We begin to get apathetic. We begin to come to a place where, well, maybe I don't have to press on so hard. Maybe I don't have to pursue Christ so diligently. Maybe I can just take a breather. Maybe I can just sit down here for a while. Maybe I can take a nap. Maybe I can just sit down beside the road. And before long, we realize we're not running anymore. We've grown complacent. We're no longer praying like we once did. We're no longer pursuing God in His Word our church attendance begins to slack off. We begin to see that backslide and all the effects of it taking place. And the, the root source of that is this complacency that begins to emerge in our lives. The truth of the matter in this Christian race, if we're not moving forward, we are not standing still. If we're not moving forward, we are going backwards. Whether we realize it or not, the complacency leads us to a place of confusion. A place where we begin to question the truths that we've come to accept. We begin to see how powerful God's Word is in transforming our lives, but when we start to get complacent, then we begin to accept some false understandings. We begin to fall back into some wrong thinking, and confusion begins to set in in our minds. And the things that have become truth for us, the things that Christ has revealed to us, the power of His Spirit at work in us, do we begin to get confused about some of those things. And so we begin to say, well... Maybe I don't really have to read my Bible every day. Maybe that root of bitterness that I struggled with for so long, maybe that root of bitterness wasn't really so bad. I mean, I don't want to get back all the way to where I was, but maybe, maybe just clinging to a little bit of that isn't such a bad thing. Maybe I can dabble a little bit in that substance that once enslaved me and not go all the way back to where I was. I start to get confused. And then we begin to compromise. 
we begin to sell ourselves back to the things that enslaved us for so long. There begins to be this compromise, and we begin to make excuses for the compromise, and we see that slow fade, that backsliding back into the very things that had enslaved us, and finally that compromise leads us to what we see. The outward manifestation of the relapse is always the catastrophe. It's when the addict gets blasted out of their mind once again after having been removed from the addiction. It's when the bitter person is now just as bitter as they once were. It's when we run back to all those hurts and habits and hang-ups. And and the catastrophe is the outward manifestation of the relapse. But what we don't realize is the relapse doesn't begin at the catastrophe. This is really important, folks. For you to understand this step in particular, you need to know that the relapse never begins at the catastrophe. It begins at the complacency. That's really important. That's where it always begins. It's that slow fading. We trick ourselves into thinking, well, I'll never go back to that place, even while we're taking the steps in that direction even while we're no longer really walking with the Lord as we once did, there has to be a vigilance in our lives in order to stay on the path. So that's how relapse happens. What are some of the causes of relapse? Look there in Galatians 5. We're going to go down to verse 7. Galatians 5, 7 and 8. Using that running metaphor again, Paul says, Guys, you are are running well. You were running well, he says. You were making progress. You were moving forward. And then another question. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. Paul asked 16 different questions in the book of Galatians, and nearly all of them refer back to this place of relapse in which they were in. And most of the questions have an obvious answer. When he says, who hindered you from obeying the truth? He says, let me tell you who it wasn't. It wasn't Jesus. You weren't following him when you began to walk away from the truth, when you began to backslide back into this false religion, when you began to go back to your drug of choice. It was not Jesus leading you there. He was not trying to tempt you. He was not putting you to the test. He was not laying that in front of you that you might walk back into all that junk, all the darkness that he delivered you from. That was not Jesus. That was your enemy who seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And we forget that about our enemy so often. We forget that the devil does not want to just mess with us. He doesn't exist, this little guy with a pitchfork and the tail, just to kind of prod us along and make, make our lives a little miserable. He doesn't, he, that's not his desire at all. His desire is to steal away all of your joy, to kill everything good and righteous and holy in you, and to destroy you if he possibly can. Now, if you belong to Jesus Christ, he cannot remove from you that which Christ has done in you. The Bible, I think, is very clear about this. But what he can do is he can remove all the effects. He can make you look like that barren field once again. And we see that so often because we take for granted the things that cause a relapse. What, is, what are some of those causes? First of all, it often comes from reverting to my own willpower. We talked about willpower a lot in this series, and the fact is that that we need to be relying daily upon the power of God, not trying to pull ourselves up by our own spiritual bootstraps, but continuing to walk with the Lord daily in dependence on Him. Now, we're going to talk about what that looks like before we finish today, but this is often the beginning of the backside. This is often the beginning of the realize as I begin to tell myself, well, I'm good now. I can handle this. We let Jesus drive for a while, and then we go, Hey, Jesus, why don't you drop, why don't you just jump in the back seat? I can take it from here. Some of you guys are shaking your heads because you've been there. I've walked in that place where I thought, I've, I've arrived now. I'm good. Everything's going well in my life. I, I've got this. And as soon as you begin thinking that way, the devil's right at the door, ready to take you on to the next place. Zechariah prophet in the Old Testament said, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. 
We need to remember that, folks, daily. As you walk with Jesus Christ, daily, it's his power at work in you, not your own. As soon as you begin to rely on your own power, you're a step away from relapse. The second cause of relapse is trying to recover alone. It starts with, all right, I got this. And then it continues on with, I can do this by myself. I don't need anybody else. I'm good. And we forget that we were created for relationships. First and foremost, that vertical relationship between you and God. But in line with it is the horizontal relationships with one another. And this is where things get sticky because for many of us we think, well, I don't really need that. I mean, it may be optional, but I can do this on my own. It's just just me and God. We can do this thing. But you forget that God's plan and process for your life was for you to be in necessary relationships with others that you would walk arm in arm together through this walk of faith. You were never meant to be the man on the island. You were never meant to be the Lone Ranger Christian. You will not find those two guys in the New Testament for good reason. Even Paul, as strong as he was, he always had a Timothy. He always had a Silas. He always had a Barnabas with him. Why? Because he needed them. And he even says of John Mark, when he went got out of sorts with it, one point he even says, send John, John Mark to me because I have need of him. He's useful to me. Trying to recover alone. Ecclesiastes speaks about this and it says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. We need one another, folks. And we need to recognize our need for one another so that it will keep us in those vital relationships with one another. We need to continually link arms with one another because the, the greatest, one of the greatest plots of the devil in your life is to get you alone. Because if he can get you alone, he can get you defeated. And if he can get you defeated, he can keep you worthless in the kingdom of God. Thirdly, what else can cause a relapse? Just becoming prideful. Now, we're not going to spend a long time here because we've talked a lot about pride in this series and all the downfalls there. And it's deceitful. The heart is deceitfully wicked. We don't always recognize when pride is creeping in. But the Proverbs say that pride goeth before the fall. And pride leaves us right in the moment when we're getting ready to take the big fall. 1 Corinthians kind of talks about that in verse 10, chapter 10. And it says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stand... Take heed lest he fall. And so these are some of the causes of of relapse. Now we're going to talk about how to avoid this backsliding, as we call it here, uh, at the end of our message today. But I want us to to take a few minutes here. And this video that I'm about to show is one that I hope will help you. As you think about the things in your life, those hurts, those habits, and those hang-ups. And some of you in this room, you have or are experiencing freedom in Christ like you've never known. And maybe your biggest fear is the relapse. What if I go back to all that junk? What if I go back to that dark place? And and what we're talking about today, you're saying, that's my constant fear. Now, for many of us, the fact that we don't fear it is the reason why we go there. The fact that we don't pay any attention, we think, oh, I'm good, I won't ever have to worry about that again, we end up back in that place. But he never meant to set us free in order to keep us in fear. Look with me at Galatians 5.1 before we look look at this video. It's based upon this verse. What does Galatians 5.1 say about the reason that Christ set us free? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So as you look at that verse, I want to encourage you today to consider what Christ has set you free from. And if in this room, if you can't think of anything whatsoever... And I really want to encourage you to come before God with that. Because if Christ has set you free, you're free indeed. Which means you should be able to say, I once was this, and Christ has done this in my life. 
I once had this hurt, this habit, this hang-up, and Christ has delivered me. And so as we share this together, be reminded of what Christ has done. And then we'll talk at the end of our time together today about how to continue in the race. Let's share this together.
So if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. So how do we keep from going back to the yoke of slavery that he's delivered us from? The good news is he hasn't left us to our own devices. There is not a place in this world where he has delivered you and then just said, all right, go about and do this your own way. It was your own way that got you in the bad place in the first place. He has given you his way. And we're going to look at that in our final few minutes together this morning. Step seven of the road to recovery is this. To reserve a daily time with God for self-examination, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and his will for my life and to gain the power to do it. To know it and to do it. It's really, really so basic, and yet this is where we so often see relapse because we're not diligent in the very things that God has given us. Look with me in Galatians 6, and we'll end here this morning in Galatians 6. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, and that word caught there, it pictures the idea of of a trap out in the woods, and you're just walking through the woods unbeknownst to you. There's a trap hidden there, and your leg is caught in that trap. It was not an intentional thing. You just got caught up in something. He says, if any one of you is caught up in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. In other words, it's not your role to come along and you see your brother caught in a trap and you point the finger and laugh. Or you cast judgment on him and say, you big idiot, why'd you step in that trap? We as Christians are so often that we're the the first army that shoots our own so often. And we need to see this encouragement here in Galatians 6. I'll I'll explain more about it in just a moment, but let's finish reading there. So restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves lest you too be tempted, unless you get caught up in the same kind of trap. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but let each each one test his own work. And we're going to talk about how to do that in our closing moments this morning. So how do we prevent a relapse? First of all, let me give you a map here. The M in map is meditation. Now, I do not want you to get the the, the thought in your mind that we so often do when we hear this word in our culture today. Eastern mysticism is rising up everywhere in our culture right now. And when many think of meditation, uh, they think of that weird thing where you make that little symbol with your fingers and you do the om and all that. The idea of that meditation is to clear your mind. And I want to tell you something today. One of the most dangerous things in the world is an empty head. I'm really serious about that. I know that's a funny statement to make, but it really is. And if you're thinking about meditation as a place of clearing your mind, you are only opening yourself up to what the devil wants to put there. Biblical meditation is not about clearing your mind. It is about filling your mind with the truth of God's word. And you will not fill your mind with the truth of God's word if you are not reading this word, if you are not spending time in this word, if you are not memorizing this word, if daily there is not time where you sit down with the word of God and as you read the word, here's the question of meditation. The question of meditation is not getting to this place of om, clear my mind, and all that gobbledygook. That's ridiculous. The question of meditation is this. I read the word of God and I ask this, God, what would you have me to do with this today? What of the character of Christ would you want to form in me as a result of this today? How can I walk in obedience to this today, God? You see, meditation is not really so much about head knowledge. We're so good in our churches today at filling ourselves with biblical head knowledge so that we can rule in Bible trivia, but we're not doing it. We're not living according to the word Look at Psalm 1 with me, and you see the man who truly understands meditation. Blessed is the man, I love this psalm, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, and I bolded that word for a reason today. 
His delight is in the law of the Lord. Do you delight in the word of God? If you don't, I dare say there's a place of great growth for you because God wants you to fall in love with his word. This is the living word of God that will transform you. But there's got to be a place of delight that only Christ can create in you for his word. He delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates. How often? Every once in a while, once a week, whenever I get around to it, my my Bible gathers more dust than it does use. Day and night. And the indication there is, Between day and night, throughout the day, the Word of God is continuing to come back to your mind. Why? Because you've been marinating in it. That's the idea of meditation. You've been marinating in the Word and allowing it to transform you as a good marinade does a good slice of beef. Changing you from the inside out. And that man will be like a tree, it says, planted by streams of water. He will yield fruit in its season. His leaf will not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. Now, don't take that last phrase wrongly. This is no prosperity gospel where God sets you free and gives you all these blessings so you can do whatever you want with it. The prospering the psalmist was talking about is what happens when God gets a hold of a life and begins to conform that life to the image of Christ, begins to do that amazing work of transformation, and the prospering is the progress. The prospering is the progress you see when you've been walking with Jesus, when, you, when you've been spending time daily in his word, and maybe not in the short term do you see the prospering and the progress, but in the long term you can look back and you can say, look at all that God has done. Look how much he has prospered me in according to his word. Look how he has grown me in his spirit. Look how much more I love people than I used to. Look how much more forgiving I am than I used to be. Look how much those hurts, habits, and hangouts have no hold on me anymore because of what Christ has done. That's the kind of prospering the psalmist is talking about. The second part of the map to preventing a relapse is accountability. And I know when I put this on the screen that for many of us that comes up as a dirty word. That is not a dirty word, folks. That is one of the most beautiful words that we could ever experience. And some of you know what I mean when I say that because you're experiencing it in your life for the first time in these days. You have chosen by the grace of God and how he has brought people into your life to link arms with other believers. And you're allowing others to speak into your life and to point out not just the areas where you're going astray, but also to speak words of encouragement to you, spurring you on, encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day of Christ's return approaching and you're moving forward together arm in arm and you're running the race together. It's so much easier to run when you have a partner, isn't it? Spur one another on. Accountability is what we see in Lamentations 3. He said, let us, and I've bolded those words for a reason, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. We are so good at individualizing this word. And I know I've beaten this horse so much lately, and I'm going to keep beating it until I don't see it in the scriptures anymore. We are so good at individualizing the word of God and making it all about me as an individual. But when you really begin to read the word of God, you begin to see the collective nature of it. And in Lamentation, he says, let us examine our ways. Speaking into one another's lives, holding one another accountable, encouraging one another, spurring one another on in love. All these things you cannot do apart from community in Christ. Let me just be real point blank honest. Some in this room this morning, you desperately need a small group. Not because that's what your church is doing, not because that's the new fad. You need it because you need to be able to do this and you can't do it on your own. You need to be, have someone that can help you to test and examine your ways that can speak into your life. Words of encouragement when they're needed, words of discipline when they're needed, words of love on both ends of that spectrum that you might continue to walk with the Lord. The P on the map, preventing relapse, is prayer. There's no no rocket science here, folks. This is Christianity 101. But we so easily forget. God did not give us some huge number of things that we had to do in order to stay right with Him. It's really pretty simple. 
the word and prayer at the center of all of this, along with accountable relationships, loving one another and spurring one another on. And I want to show you something as we finish today. This is a familiar prayer to most of us in this room. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It's really a model prayer for us. Not that we would specifically pray these words, but this would be a model for our praying. But notice the words that I've bolded in the model prayer because this is another one of those passages that we individualize so often. But you notice Jesus didn't say, my father, though he could have. He'd have every right to say that. He didn't say, give me this day my daily bread. Did you notice what he said? Let's, let's read this together with this emphasis. Would you read this aloud with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let me tell you something about this prayer and about the Bible that most of you are holding in your hands. You can't do most of this on your own. And you were never meant to. So let's run away from this lone ranger man on an island Christianity and get back to the community for which God redeemed your soul. The church is not optional in the Christian life. I used to think that there was a place where you could walk with Jesus and not necessarily have anything to do with his church. And folks, I was wrong. And I want to encourage you today, if you think that the church is optional equipment, I'm not, I'm not talking necessarily about this building. In fact, that's not at all what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the redeemed people of God. Bought with his blood. He calls us brothers and sisters because this is a new family that he has created. And we need one another. And if you're living in that place where I'm so tempted to live where I think that I can do this on my own, where I don't need anyone else, and and I can just pull my own self up by my own spiritual bootstraps, and I can make it on until heaven, and then it'll just be me and Jesus. You're missing the picture, and you're missing the glory. And I don't want you to miss it this morning. As we finish, let me share with you some of Paul's closing words in Galatians 6. He says, But far be it for me to boast except in this, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He was in his closing words to this relapsed church, reminding them of the gospel and saying to them, don't forget the cross. Don't forget that Christ was crucified in the place where you should have been. And he was there paying for your sins. He who knew no sin of his own became sin for us so that we might become in him the righteousness of God. You were crucified to the world. Why do you continue to live in it? He rescued you from the darkness. Why do you continue to dwell in it? He bought you by his own blood. Why do you want to go back to the place of slavery? And yet we do, don't we? but we don't have to. And so the next time you begin to see, and maybe you're there today, the beginning is of the backslide, the start of the relapse. The best thing I can tell you is link arms with other believers and start running back to Jesus. And do it quick. Otherwise, the catastrophe is on the horizon. And I know he does not want that for you. Let's pray together, and we're going to prepare our hearts to respond to the word today. Maybe, honestly, before the Lord today, you would say, you know what, I I see the beginnings of relapse in my own life. There was a time when I loved Jesus more than I do now. There was a time when I read his word more faithfully than I do now. There was a time when prayer was a more vital part of my life. There was a time when I was really running, and now 
At best, maybe I'm crawling, but in reality, I've probably just tried to stop. And there is no stop. There is no pause button in the Christian life. There's either forward movement or the backslide. If you're seeing signs of the relapse today, I want to give you a word of encouragement. The return to Christ is so very simple. He has not made it complicated. And his desire is not to beat you down and make you feel more and more guilty uh, over the fact that you've, you've turned back or that you've turned away or that you've just stopped running. His arms are open wide for you. He would simply say, just turn around. Come back to my word. Come back to my people. Come back to that place of dependence on me in prayer. And continue to run until I bring you home. Father, help us this morning. It seems as though, God, that this place of relapse is continually a temptation. You know we get complacent, God. We become apathetic. We begin to care about the things of the world more than the things of your kingdom. We forget what you have delivered us from and begin to think that perhaps those things weren't quite so bad as we had thought. And we forget the reality of the death and the destruction that came in the wake of our sin. Lord, would you remind us of your grace today? And Lord, may the reminder be Christ crucified in our place. That he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He took our death and gave us life. He took our sin and gave us righteousness. He took our darkness and gave us light. And none of these things did we deserve even for a moment. And we need Him just as much today as on the day of our first deliverance. Lord, teach us to walk in dependence. And if we have strayed, if we have relapsed, if we have started the backslide, may You bring us running back to You. And this we pray in Jesus' name. We're going to stand and sing together. Lord, I need you. May this be more than a song. May it be a prayer for you. And if you need to find a place here to pray, if you need to ask God for the strength to return to him, if you need someone to pray with you, Kent and I will be here. It would be our honor to be able to pray with you, for you, whatever we can do to help you. But our greatest encouragement is for you today is this. Return to the Lord. Take him at his word and continue to run with him and for him. Let's share this song together and you respond as the Lord leads you today.